This week I celebrated a birthday, so uh, this picture that I want to show you sort of resonated with me. It takes a couple seconds, all right, it's okay. You know, there's lots of jokes about ministry being a stressful job. I don't know if it is any more stressful than the other job. I've done other jobs. They were stressful too. But we hear lots of jokes about the way that ministers get along with churches and churches with ministers, ministers with elders, elders with ministers, all that stuff. And, and sometimes it is good to get a little laugh about that. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's not that funny, is it? Because maybe somewhere along the line in church... You've been hurt, and it really mattered, and it affected you. On the screen, it says, pure joy right now. And maybe, if you're honest, the last place that you would go to experience joy is church. Because of stuff that's happened, because of things that have been said. But I want us to think about that today. It's true that... There are times when we go through those moments and, and, you know, there's a person that we trust, a person we would go to in the midst of struggle, a person that we would confide in, and then we hear something that they have said about us. Word gets back. And we can't believe it at first. Would they, would they really say that about me after all we've been through? And it's confirmed. And it hurts. Or maybe you, you know, you took on a ministry that was a little bit outside your comfort zone. In fact, maybe leading was a little bit outside your comfort zone, but you did it anyway, and you put everything you had into it, and you tried some new stuff and expand ministry, and it seemed awesome to you, and maybe the team that surrounded you, and then someone began to criticize. And after all the effort you put into it, that criticism stung a little bit. It hurts doesn't feel joyful. You know, maybe there's people you expect that from, people you don't expect that from. But my guess is, if we went around this room, there is someone, or maybe even several people, who somewhere along the way quit church because of something that was said, something that was done, a criticism that really stung. And it took a long time, maybe months, maybe even years, maybe even decades, before you were willing to take those tentative steps back to church. And they were tentative because you weren't sure what it would be like. Are you going to get hurt again? Are those same things going to happen now that happened back then? Maybe it's a whole different church or a whole different group of people, and yet you just don't know. Can you really trust that church is a safe place. Could you even expect that church would be a place where you experience joy? But is there a better way? Can we find a better way to be the church so that when we come together as Christians, we experience just that real, pure Joy. That's the name of this series we began a couple weeks ago, and we were thinking about the joy that we find only in Jesus Christ. And then we built on that last week and talked about the joy that we expect to come when Jesus returns, when we will spend eternity in the presence of God. That's joy. But what about joy now? What about joy in the church today? Is that really possible? I think it is. 
I want us to look at a passage today that we find in Philippians chapter 4. This series is focused on uh, Philippians 3 and 4. And and I want us to look right at the beginning of chapter 4. It's a short verse, but there's a lot there if we look a little deeper than the surface. Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Say, okay, that looks like there's not a lot going on there, James. But I think there is. Paul uses four words or phrases to describe the relationship that he has with this church in Philippi. And I think each one of them tells us something different about how Paul related to this church and what relationships in the church should look like. And therefore, how we can experience real, pure joy in the church. So listen to what he says. He calls them first, those whom I love. Literally, the word is my beloved. In fact, what's strange about this is Paul uses the same word twice in this one verse. And so it's literally something like, therefore, my brothers and sisters, my beloved, whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, beloved. Now, the English translators find it sort of odd for him to call these same group of people beloved twice in one verse, so they sort of use different words to communicate it in a little different way. But, but Paul says twice, these are Christians that he loved. And, it, and it's the word agape. Some of you are familiar with that. The Greek word for love, there's several of them, but this is the self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love that Jesus has for us, where he's willing literally to give up his life for us, for our salvation, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can experience the eternal life that we talked about last week. That's the kind of love that Paul has for these Christians. He is willing to empty himself, give himself to these Christians that they would experience joy, that they would grow in their faith, that they would work out what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. They are his beloved, he says. The second word that he uses to describe them that we translate that he longs for them. The Christians I long for. Matter of fact, that could also be translated the Christians I love. But again, the English translators don't want to say, hey, you Christians that I love, that I really love. And by the way, at the end of the verse, you're the Christians that I love. So they try to expand that a little bit. And it does have a sense of longing. Remember, Paul is in prison. He's awaiting trial before Caesar. He's either in Palestine or he's in Rome. And he knows that at that trial, he's either going to receive a death sentence or he's going to be released. He's longing to be with them. But at this point, he doesn't know if that's ever going to happen. It may be that he's killed after that trial. He's executed, which means he's not going to see them. And yet he's at this point in his ministry, he's been with them before, and he longs to be with them again, to see how things are doing, to speak with them, to teach them, to encourage them in their growth. He longs for them. There's a real sense of emotion within Paul in that word. And then he goes on. You whom I love and long for, my joy. You are my joy. Paul found joy in the church. That was his experience. 
Now, what's interesting here is, and we're going to get to this in a few minutes, but after verse 1, the very next thing that Paul does is deal with a problem in the church. Okay? He sees that there are Christians that are not getting along in the church, and my guess is they were beginning to form two different parties within the church in Philippi, and he wants them to cut that off to deal with that right now. Okay? So, so we have Paul, the one who founded this church, planted this church, who loves them dearly, calls them his beloved twice in one verse, but he has a problem in the church that he's got to deal with. And isn't it interesting that Paul has frustration with the church? He's struggling with this church because he knows there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And yet, in the midst of that struggle, what does Paul call them? His joy. Maybe not happiness, but joy. He loves them despite the trouble that may be there. Some of you may know a little bit about the history of the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Dodgers before they moved to L.A. From 1883 to 1954, they fielded exactly zero world champions. In fact, some of those teams were horrible, okay? Way behind the, the local New York Giants and the New York Yankees who had all kinds of success. And yet at Ebbets Field, where there was all kinds of failure, every game nearly was sold out. And in each game, this group of guys formed this sort of would-be band that was really horrible, but that everybody loved. And Hilda, who came to every game, was there with, with her horn ready to, to yell the, the, the cheers for her Dodgers. It was a party at every game. Was it because they were doing great? No. But because their fans loved them. They found joy even in the midst of failure. And sometimes we as the church have to do that. Sometimes we have reason to be frustrated. Paul had a reason to be frustrated with these Christians, and yet he found joy. And that's the way it's going to be. Because there's excitement and there's success, and sometimes there's frustration and there's failure in the life of the church. And what Paul is saying is that in either we can experience joy. Now, why did Paul feel that joy? I think if we look back at the first chapter of this letter, we hear why Paul feels this way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Whenever you come to mind, I'm thanking God. In all my prayers for all of you, even these people that are giving him trouble, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul has this long-standing relationship with these Christians. He was there with them. And he returned to be with them. And they shared in sharing the message of Jesus. They worked together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And that's where Paul has this relationship that lasts to even now where they're supporting him while he's in prison. Because if you're in a Roman prison, they don't provide for you. You've got to have friends who will send you stuff to survive. And that's what the Philippians were doing. So their partnership continued even to this point. And Paul found joy in them because of all this that was so good, even despite some things that were not so good. 
He looked back on their ministry, and because of what they had done together, he found joy. Now, I experienced that lots of different times in ministry, but one group I can think of particularly was in our very first time we were in a preaching ministry, but it was a small church, so I did a little bit of everything, and we really got to know a group of kids. There was a sort of a big group of kids in like fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. You know how it is in a small church that you may have no kids in one age group and then a big group in another age group. And these kids, during the summer, we would take them to visit the sick in the community. It was a little, small community. And we would go to parks, and we would have picnics, and play all kinds of games. And, and, you know, they all remember that, and I remember it. And even though we don't see each other very often, I'm really proud when I see what, what they are doing. When they went off to college, and now that some of them are married and having kids, and they're buying houses, and they're pursuing careers, and they're involved in church, and just find such pride in that. There's a connection there. And maybe some of you, I know there's teachers in the room, people who've taught Sunday school, and maybe you identified with a group of kids that you're looking back now and, and there's a partnership with them that you still feel. I think that's what Paul's talking about. My joy, and he says, my crown. Now, I think Paul was all about glorifying God, but in this group of people, he felt a little bit of pride and honor because Paul had taken the most important things he knew, the truths about the gospel, and he had shared those things with this group of people, and because of that, they had taken it, and now they've done great things with it. They've continued to share the gospel, and so he finds a certain pride, a certain honor in being associated with them. My joy and my crown, he says. And then he has this request, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Referring back to the passage we talked about last week, thinking about eternal life, stand firm in eternal life. This beloved group of Christians. And then he talks about the problem. Verse 2. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And that word, the same mind, it's not just get along. It really is to be of the same mind, to come together. Why? Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. He's talking to someone else in the church, true companion. Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. You can just feel Paul struggling because these people that he stood beside, shoulder to shoulder, sharing the message of Jesus, contending for the gospel, are now divided. And he knows that's going to hurt the mission of this church because there's no way they can move forward serving Jesus, sharing the message, if they are divided. And so he's pleading with these two women to come together, and he's pleading with people in the church to do everything that's possible to bring them together, to find some kind of way for their minds to be the same, to think the same in Jesus. Paul's struggling with this. There's emotion there too. And yet even in the midst of that, Paul finds joy. And so I think the message for us is that we can as well. We can bring joy to one another. As the church, we can find joy together. 
We can contribute to the joy of the other people in this room and the ones who gathered earlier and will gather later. We can be a church of joy. Yeah, there's going to be times when we don't get along. You know what? We're all sinners. We'll disappoint one another at some point or another. That's just the way it is. Just like Euodia and Syntyche. But is there a way for us, even in the midst of that, to find joy in our partnership? I think that's what Paul is calling us to do in this passage. So what are some things we can do to encourage that, to foster it? I want, us to give, us, I want to give us three. The first is to be present. Paul found that very important in the life of the church, not just in Philippi, but all the other churches that he planted along the way, all the churches that he visited and wanted to visit. We see it throughout his letters. We see it in the book of Acts. Paul wanted to be present with these Christians, and he was in Philippi twice. And he shared with them the message of Jesus, and he shared with them as they talked about Jesus in their city. He was present with them. And we need to be present with each other. And it's easy to say, well, I'm here today. But you know as well as I, we don't really have time to talk about anything of true importance in our lives on a Sunday morning. We're talking about the weather and what happened this week and maybe some stuff our kids or grandkids are into and how is this person feeling. And those are important and good things. But that's not sharing life. And that's why we need small groups. And that's why we need ministry teams where we are serving together and, and sort of contending for the gospel, as Paul talks about in this passage, where we're doing something together that matters so that we can develop the same mind, so that we can find Christian unity, so that we can find joy in our relationships. And it's easy maybe to come in to this service at 925 and leave as soon as it's over but you're not going to find joy like that. We need more than one hour a week. We need more than one hour when we're all sort of facing the same direction. Second, we need to be patient because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say some stuff and think, man, I should not have said that. I shouldn't have said that in the way I said it. I shouldn't have said it in that setting. It was the wrong time and place, and we're going to have to go deal with it. It's no fun. I had to do it. Yet, we also need that opportunity, that willingness, when someone comes to us and says, hey, I shouldn't have said that. It was the wrong place. It was the wrong way. It was the wrong time. Is the wrong thing to say to begin with. That we're patient, that we are forgiving, that we show the same kind of grace that we receive from Jesus and we forgive. It, it's the price we pay. I mean, if we want the payoff of finding pure joy in the church, there is a price to pay. And sometimes the price that we've got to pay is forgiving is choosing to forgive because if we don't, we'll never get to the real Christian community. We'll never get to the payoff that's pure joy in the life of the church. If it's all about the grudges I'm holding, we don't get the payoff. It's all about how I can bring joy to the life of another Christian. We have an opportunity to get there. And then third, be positive. Yeah, there's a place in the church for correcting certain behavior, 
And there's a place in the church for improving our ministries and thinking about things that are maybe not the way we want them to be today. But more often than not, I think what most of us need from one another is to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to be told, man, I appreciated that meditation. I appreciated that lesson. I appreciated the way you, 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 you know, ministered to my mom or my dad or my children. I appreciate the class you taught. I appreciate you just being here every Sunday to pass out a bulletin and shake a hand. We need encouragement. So many people have been driven away from the church over the years by criticism. There's a moment where we have to correct some things. But in my mind, that's a very small part of the life of the church. Instead, we we need to build one another up and encourage each other in our faith so that we're growing and experiencing joy. So, do you find joy in the church? Maybe your answer to that question is complicated. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I... I do. I mean, I have relationships in the church that are as important to me, really close, to the relationships I have in my family. Maybe you'd say in some ways the people in my church are almost my family anyway. They matter that much to me. And it's the partnership, the community that we share that really brings me such an incredible amount of joy. I don't know what I'd do without these people. And maybe, maybe you're also saying, man, it's it's been tough sometimes in church because of what I've done or what somebody else has done. And those moments really were not joyful. But I think as we look in this passage, what we find is, Yeah, it's not going to be perfect. And if we expect perfection from the people around us, it is guaranteed that we will be disappointed. But if instead we're willing to pay the price to be a source of joy for other people, be willing to forgive when we're hurt, even in church, maybe especially in church, we can find pure joy. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the church. We're thankful for the whole church. Christians gathering all over this planet today, worshiping you. When we think about that, we're filled with joy. Some of them under threat of persecution. Some of them just learning from a missionary what it means to be a follower of Jesus and and learning that they've been forgiven and they've been offered eternal life. Celebrating all those things. We find joy in that. God, we find joy in this church, this community of faith, this group of people. We pray you forgive our sin. You'd help us overcome our imperfection. 
You'd help us forgive those who have hurt us from time to time. Help us to find joy in each other and in this place. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you want to find joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ today, and you've come to the point that you're ready to put your faith in him and be baptized into Jesus. We would love to see that. We would find joy in seeing you baptized into Christ. Or maybe you're already a Christian, a baptized believer, and you want to be a member of this church and part of this community. We'd love to see that happen as well. Come forward. Let us know about that if you've made that decision as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.